0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew uh, Chapter Twenty Eight Matthew Twenty Eight. Start reading in verse 11. <clears throat> Read through till verse 17. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and back all the way up to the front of the chapter just to remind you the context. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. Give it your reverent and careful attention. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first of the, de- of the week, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly, and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take the word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now, while they were on their way, Behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ear, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Amen. Pray with me. Oh Lord, we thank you for the privilege of having you speak to us, both through the written and the preached word. Uh, we ask that you would uh, help us. There are challenges that make it easy for us to, um, for our minds to wander, um, events that are happening in our lives, uh, unfinished business, not um, enough Not enough sleep what have you, we ask that you would prevent us, Lord, from uh, not paying attention, but you would give us the grace to listen for the word of Christ uh, as you preach to us uh, through this passage. And would you please bless us as we do that, and would you please honor yourself and the Father and the Spirit greatly. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Children, have you ever played with other children, a team sport where there were maybe uh, three or four of you on one team and three or four of you on another team. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was kickball, maybe it was soccer, maybe it was basketball. I don't know, maybe you some of you young kids actually play basketball already. But it was some team sport where you you were on a team uh, and somebody, some other guys or, or gals on, on the other team. And... Um, you're participating. And if you've not been in a team sport, you can picture this because I'm sure you've seen it on television or what have you. But you probably, most of you have played uh, like this together. Well, oftentimes, team sports, like soccer, like, um, a baseball, um, a lot of the sports that young people often play, there's, uh, Both teams are trying to accomplish a goal, whether it's a home run, in the case of baseball, or get a basket through the hoop, in the case of basketball, or get a uh, a soccer ball in the net, in the case of soccer. Or kickball also has, uh, depending on what kind of kickball you're doing, uh, has uh, a goal as well. And each team is trying to get to their goal, right, to get a goal, or or a basket, or whatever it is, a home run. And the other team is trying to prevent them from getting a goal, or ba- prevent you from getting a goal, or a basketball, or a home run. So both teams are are trying to do something and also trying to ha- prevent the other team from doing the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Well, <clears throat> I I tell you that, I give you that illustration, kids, because what the passage we're looking at today is actually doing is talking about. Um, kind of, in a spiritual sense, or in a biblical sense, kind of, I was talking about the other team is trying to prevent you from getting a goal or trying to prevent you from accomplishing something you're trying to accomplish in order to win. The other team uh, in Scripture, in this passage that we're looking at, there's another team that is trying to prevent people from doing something that they're supposed to do or that they want to do. And that what they're supposed to do is to believe Jesus, that he raised, he was raised from the dead. And there's a, there are forces that are working against allowing people to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and among other things that Jesus did. There are forces at work, and there are forces outward, outside of ourselves that are at work, and there are forces inside of ourselves that are at work to prevent us from believing the way we should as Christians. This passage speaks to that struggle, um, uh, that opposition, we'll say, uh, to doing what is right, which is believing God's word, what it says in the testimony of God's um, uh, scriptures. Which leads me to the two points that we're going to look at. The first is uh, uh, considerably longer than the, the second point. Um, and they are these. first we 're going to look at the external effort made to prevent people from believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, the external effort made to prevent people from believing that. and then uh, later, we are going to look at an internal phenomenon which works to prevent people from believing that Jesus had actually risen. From the dead. So first, an external effort that was made, and an internal phenomenon which works to prevent uh, people like ourselves from believing things that we are supposed to believe based on the uh, testimony of God in His Word. So first, the external effort that was made to prevent people from believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. This, of course, I'm talking about what happens in the first century, uh, what happened here um, when Jesus uh, rose from the dead. And I said it's, it's, it's an effort to prevent people from believing. And the people that are that are trying, the people that are being prevented or that are trying to be prevented from believing, are the Jewish people. The people of Israel, the inhabitants of the Old Testament Church who lived uh, in and around uh, Jerusalem and in the uh, in uh, Judea of that day, and the those that are trying to that are making this effort to prevent the Jewish people from believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead is their own spiritual leaders. This isn't a surprise to any of you, Uh, but the religious leaders of the day, uh, again, as I regularly say, just goes to prove that religious leaders can often be evil uh masquerading as uh as uh good folks, they're actually evil folks. Uh sad to say that's still true in the church today at large. <clears throat> but uh the religious leaders of uh Jesus' day hated him and uh they loved themselves uh and they were all about themselves um, and in order to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish to please themselves they had to prevent the Jewish people, who they were had authority over, from believing that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, which is to say the came out of the Jewish race and was to be the Messiah of the whole world, uh, the Savior uh, and the King of the whole world. Up to this point, <clears throat> let me just refresh. Uh, we read about it, but I'll just remind you what happened. The uh, angel of the Lord's sudden and spectacular and, shall we say, forced-filled uh, appearance in front of the tomb's entrance so frightened uh, and stunned the guards who had been assigned to guard the tomb that they were knocked unconscious, it appears, by the experience, uh, by the shock, by the awe, uh, by the uh, the quaking of the ground, perhaps, uh, and just uh, the terror that uh, filled their hearts. Uh, when this heavenly being immediately descended and appeared before them and threw that rock out of, uh, that, that enormous rock out from the entrance of the tomb in front of them. Uh, they were stunned and they uh, were knocked unconscious. Well, when they eventually came to, some of them, we are told, not all of them, but some of them went and reported what they had witnessed to the chief priests, what they did was, undoubtedly, they recounted the sudden descent of the blindingly glorious uh, heavenly being. Uh, they uh, recounted the accompanying shaking of the ground that may have, been, it may have just been localized. We don't know. It might have been uh, all across the Middle East. Uh, there is, after all, a, a, a great fault that runs through the uh, Jordan Valley there, uh, the Dead Sea area. Uh, but it might have been local. We don't know. But it was definitely uh, a very violent shaking of the ground there near the tomb. And they recounted that to the chief priests. Uh, And they also recounted the breaking of the tomb's seal and the removal of that large stone from its entrance. Now, these are Roman soldiers. They're not Jewish temple guards. I made that point a few weeks ago. It's pretty clear these were Roman soldiers, not temple guards. Uh, who were under the uh, uh jurisdiction of the uh of the Sanhedrin. These were under the control and under the authority ultimately of Pilate. Um, and that these Roman soldiers reported to the chief priests what had happened is and uh, not directly to Pilate himself is not actually strange. Now, on the surface of it it's kind of strange. You'd think why wouldn't they go to Pilate and tell him? Well it's not strange because Pilate had, you'll recall, had temporarily placed these soldiers under the authority and the supervision of the Jewish leadership. They uh, they wanted to uh, secure the tomb. He said, essentially, uh, not in so many words, but it's pretty cl- uh, clear as you compare passages that he essentially said, "Take my guards; they're under your under your authority. Uh, make it secure with their help." Well, so they come the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, or the, the, the chief priests, rather, uh, tell them what has happened. And this is a disturbing uh, report, to say the least, for the uh, chief priests. And they call the Sanhedrin together, the entire religious body, and they hastily um, decide what they're going to do about this very unpleasant set of uh, turn of events, um, uh, this inconvenient truth that they have been confronted with. William Hendrickson, in his commentary on Matthew, writes this about uh, the Sanhedrin and the members of it at this point in time. We do not read that the Sanhedrin reject the soldiers' report in utter disbelief. We don't read that. Neither is it correct, however, to say that the Sanhedrin believed it. We're not told. One fact is certain. This body did not want to have the people believe what the soldiers had just reported to them, it was afraid the Sanhedrin was afraid that any such news would be read, uh, would r- readily be linked with the idea of a resurrection from the grave, and in this belief, and this belief in turn would cause the people to lose confidence in their leaders. Read them, who had been chiefly responsible for the murder of Jesus begin with. They're only concerned about themselves. If the people stop start believing that Jesus is the the Messiah uh, as evidenced by a resurrection of his body, of him from the dead, then their goose is cooked in terms of their influence over the people. They cease to be important. They cease to be um Uh, given accolades and, and those respectful greetings in the marketplaces that say they so loved. Their, uh, their egos weren't gonna get massaged anymore. And they hated this. They hated Jesus for making it, uh, for taking that away from them, which is essentially what he had done. So they meet, they scheme, they agree to do three things in response to their vexing, uh, this vexing situation. First, they would, and they did, as we read give a large sum of money to the roman soldiers in exchange for them not telling anyone about what they had seen or experienced earlier that uh, that night secondly they then instruct the soldiers to tell everyone who asks them what happened that night to tell everyone that jesus disciples came during the night and stole their body their master's body away while they the guards were all asleep perhaps a dozen of them The Sanhedrin's earnest hope, of course, in uh, telling them to spread this story, the telling the, the Roman guards to spread this story, the Sanhedrin's hope is that the Jewish populace, anybody who finds out about it, and they're counting on the word spreading, uh, the lie spreading, that anyone that would find out about this, uh, the disciples having stolen b- the body theory would find this fictional version of what happened believable or relatively believable uh which in turn would prevent them from concluding that Jesus had in fact actually risen from the dead bodily. So it's a substitute for the for the truth. And they're hoping it'll gain traction and they're hoping that uh, the people will by and large buy it and this whole Jesus thing will just go away. The soldiers' response to the Sanhedrin's proposal, as I've already indicated by their acceptance of the money, uh Oh, I'm sorry, and I forgot one other important point. There are three things. I only mentioned two that they decided to do. Uh, give them the money and give them the, the lie to, to spread. But the third thing they did was they promised those Roman soldiers, the Sanhedrin did, or the uh, leaders of it at least, that when Pilate learns of what would appear to him to be the soldier's dereliction of duty at the tomb, they, that is the Jewish leaders, would persuade Pilate not to punish them. And they apparently thought that they had enough sway with Pilate that they could convince him, no, it's, you know, whatever he, whatever they would say. They would concoct some story, uh, to, or, 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 use some persuasive argument to get Pilate to back away from having all those soldiers killed, which was the, uh, which was the punishment for dereliction of duty, uh, in, in the Roman, uh, Roman army. Especially something like that. So, those are the three things. So, how do they respond? Well, the soldiers agree. To participate in this cover-up. And that's exactly what it does. It, it was a monstrous cover-up. Now, of course, this would be painful for the soldiers to admit something that they hadn't done, right? They uh, are going to have to admit, and did have to admit to anybody who apparently asked them that they had been sleeping on the job. But they apparently believed that participating in the cover-up was the best course of action that they could take in light of the predicament that they found themselves in. Which is, it looked like they, you know, the body was gone and they were responsible for preventing that body from leaving that tomb. And so, they and they got money for it and they were promised that uh, they weren't going to lose their lives uh, uh, that the Sanhedrin would uh, make sure that Pilate would back down from uh, that pu- kind of punishment. It's a cover up. It's designed uh, by these wicked religious leaders uh, to, uh, to, as a smokescreen, to uh, prevent people from seeing, from believing what was absolutely true, and that is Jesus rose from the dead bodily. Enemies of the gospel. Well, there are plenty of efforts today made by Jesus' enemies to prevent people from believing the fact that Jesus has actually risen from the dead, and a lot of other things about Jesus as well. But what we're talking about here is uh, his resurrection from the dead. A lot of other people, a lot of people today, uh, wish to dismiss that and 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 concoct stories. Uh, or scenarios that seem to be believable that allow people to just go, oh yeah, that's, we all know well, no, that's silly. I was one of those people, by the way, back before I was converted in college. That was my, that was my, uh, basically my line. Well, we, we know that's, you know, we know that's, it didn't happen that way because of this, this, and this. What are some of those, uh, efforts that are made today? Well, the very theory that the Sanhedrin concocted is still around today. That is that the soldiers fell asleep. And uh, the, uh, the uh, disciples snuck in there and got that body out. And wow, missed that. This is utterly ludicrous. Because in order for it to be true, three virtually impossible things would have to have occurred. Many of you even know this yourselves, but I'm going to repeat it for those who don't. First of all, all the soldiers, every last one of them, however many there were, and there were numerous ones of them, we don't know if it was 8 or 12 or 15 or whatever, but it was a sizable uh, uh, number of uh, soldiers, uh, probably a cohort. Um, all the soldiers, whose very lives, again, depended upon them staying awake, not, not der- uh, uh, shirking their duties, falling down on their duties, all of the soldiers would have had to have fallen asleep at the same time. Secondly, of course, as you obviously can realize this, all the members of that guard would have had to remain asleep the whole time. While the seal is broken, while that huge stone is uh, rolled away from the tomb, and while the body of Jesus is carried out of the tomb, uh, people, somebody holding his feet, somebody holding his head... uh, some people guarding the way, whatever, um, pushing things out of the way, tree limbs and the like. Point is, it's ridiculous. It's just absurd. And even if Jesus' body had been stolen, let's just, you know, let's just, for men, men that entertain that possibility, if it had been stolen, there's no way to account for the fact that he came back to life. For forty days he walked on the earth. A fact that was witnessed to by more than 500 people, Paul tells us. Not least of which is the disciples themselves, numerous times. So this theory is just silly. It's evil, actually. But It's silly evil. Another proposal designed to give people an alternative to believing that Jesus actually rose from the dead is called the swoon theory. Many of you have heard of this. Some of you perhaps haven't heard it described that way, but it argues that Jesus didn't actually die when he was on the cross, but instead he passed out due to the excruciating pain that he was experiencing. He was just passed out, and therefore he only appeared to be dead. And they took him down alive from the cross and put him in the tomb. Which, where he subsequently, oh, regained consciousness, rolled that pesky stone away from the entrance and walked out under his own power. After what had been done to him on the cross, that Christ merely swooned, fainted, is actually what the Muslim Quran teaches. I don't know if you knew that. The Quran teaches that. That's what happened to Jesus. Here's what John Stott has to say about this proposal in his book, Basic Christianity. Some of you have read that, I'm sure. Here's what he says Stott says Are we to believe that after the rigors and "...pain of trial, mockery, flogging, and crucifixion, he, Jesus, could survive 36 hours in a tomb, sepulchre, a stone sepulcher, with neither warmth, nor food, nor medical care, that he could then rally sufficiently to perform the superhuman feat of shifting the boulder, which secured the mouth of the tomb, and this without disturbing the Roman guard." That then weakly and sickly, weak and sickly and hungry, he could appear to the disciples in such a way as to give them the impression that he was had vanquished death. That he could go on to claim that he had died and risen, could send them into all the world and promise to be with them until the end of time. That he could live somewhere, hiding for forty days making occasional surprise appearances, and then finally disappear without explanations. Stott says such credul- credulity, that is to say, naivete, is more incredible than Thomas's unbelief. And Stott, by the way, fails to mention the spear that was thrust into Jesus' heart by the executioners to make sure he was dead. Oh, there was that. Just preposterous. It really is preposterous. Another alternative is that Jesus' disciples hallucinated the whole thing. Mushrooms or something. John Dominic Crozan, Crozan? I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, he was the, coach, one of the, co- he was the co-chair of the blasphemous Jesus Seminar Back in the 1980s that decided what parts of the Bible were actually, uh, uh, well, what parts of the Gospels were actually, uh, said by Jesus and which were not. They, uh, they, uh, put little beans into a hat or something saying yes or no on this, this particular verse. Um, they had the audacity to think they could, uh, judge God's Word that way. At any rate, um, bunch of, bunch of pagans. Uh, this, this Cro- Crozan, he espoused this view. He, was, he said, Yeah, this was all just an overactive imagination. asserted that the disciples' stubborn insistence that Jesus had risen bodily from the dead was merely the product of fantasy. They wish, it was wishful thinking, and it just came to, it, it was so real that it was as if it happened. As I said a few weeks ago, this theory ignores the fact that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the disciples knew that was the case better than anyone else. The disciples knew that it was the case that he didn't rise from the dead if he didn't. They knew better than anyone. And yet, the early church fathers tell us that all but one of the disciples, John, but all the others, all but one of the disciples died a martyr's death, meaning they all died for their faith, and, and meaning that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, they all died for a cause which they knew was a lie. And all of them were willing to die for that lie. And they tried to kill John, apparently, boil him in oil, but he apparently got out before he was burned to death. Had any of the disciples simply renounced to their claim that Jesus was the risen Christ, many of them may well have been able to avoid being executed in torturous ways. No, this theory does a sorry job of explaining the explosive growth of the gospel in the first century in the face of staunch and often violent persecution. Well, one last uh, major uh, alternative, shall we say, to Jesus rising from the dead. A way of dismissing that, uh, that argument is made by opponents of the gospel. And what these opponents do is they merely dismiss the whole Bible. They, they resort to the outright denial of the truth of the biblical account of Jesus' resurrection from the dead as well as other miracles that he performed. They just say it didn't happen. It's just all a figment. Somebody just, it was a fanciful tale. It's all a tale. This is problematic for numerous reasons. Um, fulfilled prophecy uh, that, that uh, Jesus had no control over. Uh, the fact that all the disciples died for a lie, knowing it was a lie. Uh, and yet they all went to the grave, uh, suffering horribly, <clears throat> without ever renouncing the faith. And there's no record of any renunciation by any of them of their faith. And many other things, but but it's problematic to say the biblical account is not true. I'm going to let the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter One, Paragraph Five, make the point uh, as to why it is. One Five, Confession of Faith. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture, and the heaviness and the heavenliness of the matter, the efficacy. ...of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts... I'm going to say something about that in a moment... ...the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God... ...the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation... ...the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof... ...are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God... Yet notwithstanding our full persuasion and full assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit's the one who has to cause us to believe it. But the evidence is there. The evidence is is a manifold that that this is an otherworldly document. I mentioned I was going to say something about the consent of all the parts. For those of you that were in Sunday school, this is what I was talking about. Uh, uh, sorry for those of you that missed that. Come to Sunday school next week. Um, uh, that 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 there's these multiple layers of uh, of uh, st- structure and symmetry and and uh, wor- uh, word um, uh, word repetition um, and um, oh, there's all sorts of stuff in there, and most people don't ever realize it. And there's a whole lot that I don't realize, but I get the benefit of a seminary education and get to spend time reading, you know, nerdy books. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's incredible what the Bible is uh, and the way it's constructed. And to, for, for dozens of men over centuries from all different uh, walks of life to, to put this all together and make this all fit together the way it does, it's just, it is preposterous to say that. It's just preposterous say the Bible isn't God's word. And yet, a whole lot of people say it. And you know what? Some Christians struggle sometimes to believe it. But it's true. It is true. So we've looked at the external effort made to prevent people back in the day, Jesus' day, from believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. But let's, in the remaining time together, briefly just look at an internal phenomenon which works to prevent people from believing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And it's found in this text. Let me just remind you, the 11 remaining disciples, uh, Judas is dead at this uh, uh, at this point, the 11 remaining disciples um, have gone to a certain mountain in Galilee, uh you'll heard you heard when I read in uh the first part of chapter twenty eight, those multiple references to going to Galilee, first by the angel uh to the women, and secondly by Jesus when he appeared to the women as they were uh running from the tomb or leaving the tomb to tell the disciples. Um, he tell he meets them and tells them both, Go to Galilee. So they are now, uh uh fast forward, they are now in Galilee, uh on a certain mountain in Galilee, where the women Again, after having been instructed by the angels in Christ, the risen Christ told them to go. So they're there. Jesus suddenly appears to them. And they immediately fall down before him, prostrate, uh, uh, almost certainly, uh, and worship him as God. But, verse 17, it's queer. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Some were doubtful. And this isn't the first appearance to them by Jesus. There have been, when you compare the various gospel accounts, there's more than one appearance that has already occurred to uh, some, or, uh, some or all of them prior to this point in time. But some are still doubtful. In Galilee. Doubt is the internal phenomenon to which I'm referring that works to prevent us from believing what the Bible teaches us about Jesus. It works from within our own hearts. The old man within is what it is for the believer. But for the unbeliever, it's just him. He's all old man. But it works from within the heart to prevent us from believing that Christ actually rose from the dead, as well as numerous other truths regarding his person and his work, his redemptive work. The disciples, his closest inner circle, they doubted. Still, doubting. The disciples uh, earlier Than this point in time uh, had displayed difficulty believing that Jesus had actually risen. Over in Luke's account, we read in Luke twenty-four, verses ten and eleven. Now they, now, now they were. This is uh, uh, talking about the women. Now they were uh, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And then verse eleven says, And these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. These are these were these are men with feet of clay. That's all of us, folks. It's all of us. Fallen man has a sinful proneness to doubt what God has said and what God has done, even after the Holy Spirit has given us a new heart, which the disciples had at this point in time, undoubtedly. Perhaps you are wrestling with doubt about certain aspects of the Christian faith. A couple things I think you ought to know in closing. First of all, most, if not all, Christians probably struggle with doubt about what the Bible says from time to time. I have. Definitely have. Biblical examples would include, of, who have, people who have doubted, would include Job. Some of his questions are pretty brash. Thomas, of course. Other examples could be cited, but we don't need biblical examples. There are plenty of examples probably in this room. So, you're not alone in struggling to believe, to not doubt (coughs) the Scriptures. Secondly, doubting God is not the same thing as denying Him. Doubting is difficult, but it's not apostasy. It's something that because we're human we go through sometimes. Um, The Lord sometimes just in his providence allows us to go through difficult times when our faith is very weak. But that doesn't mean he's let go of us. Thirdly, if you are doubting, God still loves you. And where it's needful, he forgives you. And I'll leave you with this, um, I'll address this uh, in closing. What should you do if you're wrestling with doubt right now or later in the future? Maybe you're fine right now, but you find yourself six months from now because of some calamity in your life or some something that happens to you, you find yourself struggling to believe this, what the scriptures teach about Christ and about God. What should you do? Well, the account of Christ's healing of the demon-possessed son is instructive here, and I'm going to conclo- close by reading this. This is found over in Mark's Gospel, Mark 14. No, it's, I'm sorry, it's Mark 11. No, it's Mark 9. Boy, I'm either blind or I can't type, or all all the above. Mark 9, verse verses 14. There we go. To 24 this is very instructive as to how do we how do we deal with struggling our struggles to trust God believe God's word Mark 9 verse 14 and when they came back to the disciples they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them and immediately when the entire crowd saw him Jesus they were amazed and began running up to greet him and he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, and grinds his teeth, and stiffens stiffens out. <clears throat> and I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, "O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into, convulsion, into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he said to his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Just pray. Lord, help me unbelief. He will eventually. And He'll bring you to a better place because He's faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this um, passage. We thank you for the fact that you did rise from the dead, Lord, that you are seated in the place of greatest prominence and glory and honor in the cosmos, in heaven. And we thank you that uh, you are the reigning Lord of the universe, that nothing happens by chance. Uh, You are ruling sovereignly, supremely, absolutely, over all. And though the world often looks like it is out of control or under the devil's control, and he is the God of this world, but he's small g., you are the, you are the, the God-man, the supreme, uh, determiner of what transpires under the sun. We rejoice in the comfort that brings to us. We rejoice, Lord, that, uh, you have demonstrated by your, your life, death, and resurrection and ascension that, uh, you and the Father and the Spirit intend to, uh, uh, to have, uh, your image bearers, many of them with you for all eternity, uh in your presence, basking in your love and being blessed by you. Thank you that we are included in that number, those of us who are trusting in Jesus alone. If there's anyone listening to me, either here or at home, who does not believe, um, who is unconverted, there is no belief at all, would you have great mercy? Upon such a one, would you please lift the veil of blindness that covers his or her eyes and cause him to see that Jesus is his only hope of being forgiven and of escaping your wrath. And we pray, Lord, I pray, for those who may be struggling with doubt, um, who are wrestling, Lord, with uh, believing and finding faith to believe, would you please grant... um, an added measure of faith to those who struggle uh, and bring them to a better place. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close. I forgot about that. Maybe you did too. (laughs) Receive now God's uh, blessing, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. be and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen.